It's about that time. And today, Erin joins us. And she's going to take us on a journey from dealing with ADHD as a child, anxiety, and the debilitating depression that nearly claimed her zest for life. But despite all of it, she came out the other end, tried, tested, and true. She's got a story to tell. And she's also someone who, after all the booming and even being looked at like an odd, weird, or a strange kid, is now helping, encouraging, and even coaching people so they can find their voice and use it to share their story in whichever way they seem fit. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's Erin and her story. Welcome Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. You could have been anywhere in the world and been doing a hundred other things, but you chose to sit down and spend a little time with us. So I do appreciate it. Thank you. I I know I made the right choice. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) So I know that you are from Toronto, Canada. And why don't you tell us a little bit about how it was growing up for you and give us a rundown about your life story as a youngin. Sure. Well, I will say uh, I grew up in the suburbs. I had, uh, you know, like I I grew up in a house and I grew up with a with I would consider kind of like a TV family. Uh, My parents are both teachers. Uh, I have a younger brother. We had cats. We had a backyard. But a lot of what I remember as a kid, including a lot of wonderful times, uh, was always feeling like I didn't belong. Like there was something wrong. I always felt a little bit like two beats behind everyone. Um, There's a famous story of Mm -hmm. uh, when I was very small and all the other kids were learning how to walk. I went from crawling to backwards crawling, um, which I have now learned is apparently an autistic trait. And so I realized recently uh, it's not an official diagnosis, but uh, I am autistic which puts a lot of different things in perspective. But I was I was a really anxious child. I remember when Christmas was coming, I made a promise to myself. And when I say I made a promise to myself, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, self, this is what we're doing, that I wasn't allowed to get too excited about Christmas until it was a week before, because then what if I did Christmas wrong? Like, what if I got too excited too early or something like that? So how old were you when when you had these feelings or these thoughts? Oh, like six. Oh, wow. Okay. I was a very small, very anxiety prone child. There's a lot of different spectrums of autism as well, right? I don't know where you would range in it, but I know. Exactly. Well, that's one of the things that's been really interesting learning about it is that Autism is also kind of a confusing term because it seems like it's a whole bunch of different things that it's like, oh, autism, that is the the, the word that makes the most sense. So, uh, you know, it, the, I, one of the phrases I've heard is if you know one, one autistic person, then you know one, one autistic person. Everyone's a bit different. But um, I mm, have, mm-hmm. so I am autistic. I have ADHD. Uh, I'm queer. Uh, I have major anxiety and I'm also a fun time. That's the last thing. That's the most important thing. That's right. Um, But all of that made me feel, and because it wasn't talked about in the same way, I was born in 1980. 
Okay, yeah, you and me both. There we go. Oh, Richard, Uh did we just become best friends? That might have (laughs) happened. But it was it wasn't really in the popular dialogue that much. Like I don't remember the first time I heard the word autistic, but uh, it wasn't when I was a little kid, and it wasn't presented as like a cool thing or a regular thing. It was like basically presented Mm -hmm. as oh no like as if someone was like that person's a ghost like it's like spooky yeah so it felt is so as a kid i felt i mean i feel like the classic story is i felt very different because everyone is different because yeah you're right coming coming up i i don't even now that now that you mentioned that i can't even think back to the first time that i heard the word Mm -hmm. autism i know for sure when i was a kid and a child in school I never heard that. I don't even think it was uh, yeah. labeled as an autistic child. And I, and I don't know when that, yeah. when that happened. I, d- I just, and also I grew up in Canada and I love so many things about this country, but like Canadians uh, aren't always direct. Like they're, we've got this reputation as like, we're so polite and sometimes we're polite and sometimes we're mm-hmm. like passive aggressive. So I think sometimes also, as someone who misses social cues and that kind of stuff, there's all these things that people might have been telling me about myself, but because they weren't saying it directly, I would miss things. And so there was all these parts in my life that were like a mystery to me as well. Did you get a lot of bullying or did you get a lot of the other kids in school giving you a hard time because of your disability or your situation? Well, here's here's the thing. I feel that we were both in like, let's call it the golden age of bullying. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like the 80s were, oh, what an age for bullying. Um, But uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day where it's like, it's awful that there's so many other ways that kids could be terrible to each other now. But I was like, I almost had a like, back in my day, I was like, back in my day, you had to be terrible to someone's face. You had to write a letter. You had to do all those things. Too easy nowadays. Exactly. You had to do it the old fashioned way. I was like, wow, that's a weird thought. But anyways, um, (laughs) here's the thing. Was I bullied? Yes. The good old days. Yeah. Back in the day. Was I, was I bullied? Yes. Was I, uh, you know, a weird kid and felt uncomfortable? Yes. But when I think back to what a weird kid I was, and I say that with great fondness for my younger self, it is amazing how generous kids were there were so many things they could have bullied before they didn't hmm. like i would just i would sing i was obsessed with the muppets i still am like i dressed weird i would like write little plays i used to like draw cartoons of my feelings like it i was i don't know if i was too easy to bully or people were just more generous But like the amount of bullying they could have done versus the amount of bullying I received is like a wild gap. At a young age, you were marching to your own drumbeat. Yeah. The thing, as I look back and I say this, you know, my parents are teachers. I I really love and respect the teaching profession. I've had teachers that changed my life. I would say the bullying that hurt me the most is when a teacher teased me and then the kids got like, oh, she's fair game. That's the bullying that really hurt me. Wow. Now, you experienced that yeah. also, the teachers teasing you? Well, here's the thing. When you're a really sensitive kid and you're very small, 
um, like a teacher sort of teasing you. Indirectly. Exactly. Like I had a thing. This is hilarious because it is like as an adult now, I'm like, oh, a little baby. But as a kid, I was just like, oh, my God, I was so self-conscious. I was the smallest kid and I was the youngest kid and I was very weird. And it was like grade one. So I was almost a year younger than a lot of the kids. I was five. They were six. And uh, here's an old fashioned sentence. I was sharpening my pencil in a pencil sharpener. What are those? I know. <laughs> then I went to the ice cream oh, shop that, in that a jalopy. Are, but anyways. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that back when I was young, I wish I still kept with me. Like garbage pail kids. I don't know if that was big in Canada. Yes. Garbage pail kids. I used to love collecting those. The ice cream Yeah, truck. I wasn't allowed mm -hmm. to have them, so I had a secret collection. There you go. The secret stats in a shoebox. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I have ADHD, so I would just lose them. <laughs> <laughs> so it was definitely a secret collection it was a secret for me but uh it was a secret for you yeah. <laughs> exactly so but i hope someone was like oh look this it's like the universe gave me some garbage pail kids like that brings me a lot of joy oh those were cool yeah. i i never seen the movie i know they came out with the movie yeah. i don't i know sometimes they ruin a classic i don't know if they that was the case with that but yeah i think the good news is when it's like kind of gross out stuff you can't mm -hmm. <laughs> And it is also my, like, controversial, not controversial opinion is, for example, the Ninja Turtles movie, the first one, is excellent. Oh, yeah, with Vanilla Ice, right? No, that's the second one. Oh, that's the, the first also one. Also good. First, I know I've seen the first one. That was The Secret of the Ooze? Was the, the I believe so, one. yes. The that being said, I might, get it, I might be right. getting the mix up. Share in the comments if I got it wrong, but I yeah, think that's no, the no. second one. I do, um, I do remember the first because we had that on video. We had that on VHS video cassette. Yeah. That was a classic. Yeah, so good. And mm -hmm. I know it's very different than the comics, but like, I like it. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. I watched it a couple years yeah. ago. It's really nice. Uh, you, yeah, it has replay value. Exactly. And like, I love that these teen boy turtles are like looking after each other like they one of them mm -hmm. goes through a, like a very difficult emotional time and like the other his brothers like look out for him it is a surprisingly emotional movie yeah. <laughs> it is just honestly give it a watch listeners give it a watch a lot of 80 80 references yes exactly uh, also there uh the 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 like bad guy uh hideout is like i want to live there like it's just amazing all these weird old tvs it's fantastic yeah i've got a map quested <laughs> <laughs> so um when i was I, I'm, I'm five years old i'm feeling uncomfortable at school i'm uh i can barely reach the pencil sharpener I sharpened my pencil and then I like wiped, I don't know, some pencil shavings on my nose. And so I had like some marks on my nose and my teacher turned me around and went to all the, all the students like, look, it's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm. You're the butt of the joke. So, exactly. And also I am so self-conscious already and um, just... Like, it was like, oh, great, I'm small and I'm weird. And now everyone knows it's okay to pick on me. And the thing is, is like, I know she didn't mean anything by it. But it was one of those things where, like, it's some of those moments will mess up a kid. And when I learn more about ADHD, rejection sensitivity, I believe it's dysphoria is a thing where, 
you'll feel that kind of stuff at a different level than a lot of other people mm, will. Okay. Which is too bad. But also in a weird way, that was the source of me being funny because I remember being like five and being like, well, I gotta have I'm gonna have to figure out a way to get people on my side. So yeah, benefits and neg positives and negatives to everything, I think. Yeah, exactly. It it seems like that's a story also with a lot of a lot of comedics that I've uh watched. They they talk about that was yes. kind of like an armor mechanism. Like if I can't beat them physically, then I'm gonna I'm gonna eat them up with words. Exactly. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Or or and just use it as your you you can you can turn it around and you can laugh at yourself and make a joke of it and, and it it works out. Some people are famous. Um the, the world mm -hmm. knows them now because of that. Those those instances in life at a young age when that that was a like you said, a, a coping mechanism. Yeah. And the other thing that I find really interesting about that kind of comedic sense so my my dad is also my, my dad was an amateur stand-up uh my brother is very funny which is wonderful oh. and very frustrating because he's six years younger than <laughs> me and like just very smart works at it really has it together and i'm like no 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 i'm the funny one that's what i have you have all that <laughs> other stuff at least um, give me that <laughs> exactly the thing is is i said that to him once and he's like Aaron, you have so many things because he's also nicer than me. Like he was like, no, look at all the things you're doing well. It's like, great. Uh, now you're nicer than me too. Great. Fantastic. I can't win. But it is. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to have a sibling who uh, is that kind of person. Also, he's sarcastic and like not an angel. He's a he is a regular human being, but he is a he's a really solid guy. So that's very nice. Yeah. Um. But I think with, with one of the things that's interesting about having a comedic sense is, yes, can be a big coping mechanism, but also it can be such a great way to break the ice and make people feel comfortable. So much of it is because I use it as a coping mechanism to keep people at an arm's distance for ooh, decades. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm just discovering the ways to make it more of an integrated part of me and not all of my personality. <laughs> mm, right, right. And when you were younger, it was the anxiety that was really the killer for you. That was yeah. something that was. Yeah, anxiety. I started, it's, I don't know when I first realized I had depression. Um, I think it was about the seventh grade, but I also remember uh, do you remember the song Puff the Magic Dragon? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard that in. That was a storybook, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It a it's a story. So there's this boy and he has a friend that's a dragon and they have all these adventures. And then uh, the boy gets a little bit older and he's too old for imaginary uh, friends. Uh, and then it ends with uh, Puff the Magic Dragon like. He's starting to lose scales and he goes off into his cave by himself. And that's the end of the song. And it's a song we have children sing. It's like, by the way, you're going to get older and like you're responsible for the for your uh, imaginary friends ending up with clinical depression. But I remember crying at that song. I was like in the fourth grade and just like crying. So I was just like, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's a lot to look forward to. Yeah. The hope. To hope you instill in Yes. So it is. I think I always had depression. Wow. And that carried on 
throughout school? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something I've always it's you know, it, I feel like my whole family kind of deals with a lot of depression, but it's 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 strange because there's part of me that's like if I could just make my brain very different because depression can be really exhausting, anxiety can be really exhausting. Uh, sometimes it's like having a really yeah. intense workout that I didn't agree to or like, oh, great. It's just I'm just going to feel tired and awful. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, but now that can that, that also would it would it leave you to the point where you because I know it can even get to the point where people stay indoors. They don't want to go outside. They don't want to be around yeah. anybody. They like bedridden. I mean, there, there's some people that I know that are bedridden they they pretty much shut themselves off to the rest of the world because of it yeah i'm well i'm glad you brought that up because it is i've had uh what i guess are nervous breakdowns i call them nerve bees uh i've had those happen to me before um and it is or it's just everything is too much i can't handle it i can't handle people and i love people i love people but i'm just Mm -hmm. like everything seems like too much everything feels gray Um, and I've been lucky enough through therapy and support and asking for help and medication that I've been able to always get to the other side of it. Um, but I do also really like how weird and creative my brain is. Yeah. Embracing it also. Mm -hmm. The uniqueness of it. Yeah. Now, when, when you were dealing with the depression and anxiety, was there, Mm -hmm. A turning point, like at some time where you, because I know you right now you just mentioned you were going through, you, you did therapy and that was for the depression or was it for both? Yeah, it was for the depression and anxiety. So here's the thing for me. I feel like, and this is very weird to say as a storyteller, because I, I do what you're doing an excellent job of is like, was there a turning point? Was there a moment where everything changed? Yeah. But for me, it's been a lot of different moments because I will figure something out and then there's something else to deal with. But I feel more able to than I was before. It wasn't one specific so, thing that knocked you off the horse and this is it. I got to change it. Exactly. I'm not like, I'm fixed now. Right. Yeah, I wish it but was that easy. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great? Uh-huh. A lot yeah. of times, and that's the thing, I guess probably with you, I know for myself, you have, and a lot of people, I think we all can relate that there's little hints that happen along the way. And if you're sensitive enough, you can pick up to it and start making those adjustments yourself. Agreed. 100%. I think, and I've talked about this before. One of the things was uh, when I went away to university, uh, the support I had and that kind of stuff, and I'd never been to therapy, everything just kind of went. Um, and I, I really went through such a terrible depression. Like, I feel so sorry for my first year roommate, Jamie, you were a lovely person. I'm so sorry. But it was like getting to class felt like a marathon sometimes. Um, everything felt exhausting. So I, I think one of my big turning points is I was in a a group, like a therapy group, and we were supposed to choose a character or an animal or that. Uh, kind of thing to represent us when things were were really bad. And so what I came up with, because I was like uh, a person who read a lot of like myths and stuff, like we'll put it this way, Richard, uh, my librarian in high school knew me by first name. Uh, it was, and I was in a big school. A bookworm. 
loved books. I yeah, uh, still do. Yeah. But um, I was really into the myth of the phoenix that it like came to the end of its life and then just kind of the rising of the phoenix. Exactly. Kind of rose again with flames. Very beautiful. And so I was in the University of Guelph and my depression and all that sort of stuff got to the point where it felt everything felt impossible. And so I went back to live with my parents in Toronto and go to another school. And at the time, I felt like such a failure because I was like, who can't deal with this? Turns out a lot of people. But who can't, you know, I'm not yeah. even an adult, all these things, all these awful messages I was giving myself. And then I started going to this new school. I started going to the University of Toronto and really enjoyed it. And I ended up getting a tattoo of a phoenix on my body to sort of just remind myself. And to me, that was one of the turning points because it, it everything had felt a bit like Russian movie gray for a while. Like I was trudging place to place and I right. felt all this shame for feeling like I'd given up instead of kept fighting. Um, because sometimes it's not that you're, you've stopped fighting. It's that that way you were fighting isn't working. And so if a sword stops working, exactly. there's other things you could use. Exactly. You could use a bow and arrow or whatever. Um, but anyways, I got this tattoo on my back and I just remember that feeling of being like, this is to remind myself that just because something is done doesn't mean it's the end, that I can always come back. And to me, that was what that tattoo was one of the turning points in me realizing that I was in control of my life. Mm. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's an interesting point. And to backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, you said with the depression that it was you, you mentioned the puff the magic dragon but was there something you think that was the trigger of it all or because i think it's even it can be genetics you mentioned that your father also i mm -hmm. it was it your brother you, there was family members that struggled with the same thing now i i wonder if it was something that you just thinking back you can link it to maybe it had to do with genetics or it was the the um, the things you were dealing with in school, the anxiety, all of that, it was just a whole yeah. left out of all of those things. And and it was weighing down on you to the point where one of the the things you, you ended up dealing with because of that was depression. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I feel like it is kind of plethora because it is. So my dad's side of the family, very Irish Catholic. Um, I mean, my my mm -hmm. dad's side of the family very came religious. over. Sorry? Uh, were they are they very religious or Well, yeah, it is. It's so there are definitely like my aunt is a nun, my great aunt was a nun. There's a picture of me as a baby surrounded by nuns in full habit. Oh, wow, okay. Like the black and white. One time it was it was Easter and I was flipping through the channels and uh one of the channels had a cousin of mine who is a priest uh doing the uh the the ceremony i'm not religious mm -hmm. i'm using the yeah. wrong words uh doing the the, the mass because okay. uh, i'm not catholic mm -hmm. uh my dad's side of the family is catholic my mom is not um but it is so there's the religious part of it and there's also i think this idea of well that's just how certain people are so i do think there is a certain amount of genetics it does seem to run in the family yeah. but also 
and I, I want to believe things are better for kids now. Cause especially cause they just, a lot of them seem nicer mm-hmm. than I remember <laughs> kids being. Um, I hope that's true. Cause I want things to be good for kids. I love kids, but anyways, so much of this stuff wasn't talked about. And I think that's part of it. It felt like walking through a room with the lights off, you know, bumping into things. Yeah. A lot of that, a lot of that back then was taboo. Yeah. They, yeah, it was, it was like, even with the autism, maybe they just didn't have a name, a a label for it yet, but there was, there was a lot Mm. of stuff that, yeah, now years later, there, I I guess just hindsight is 2020. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. I also think sometimes the way different things present in girls and women aren't recognized. It's more like I feel like people realize that women have depression and women have autism now more. But uh, yeah, I've had a lot of, you know, people telling me, oh, well, women weren't diagnosed with autism until recently. Or, and I say this to all my fellow, fellow autistics, I say this with all the love of my heart, we're all different. Uh, but people are like, but you're not good at math and you don't like trains. So how could you be autistic? That's something that I would, in the beginning, I was always thinking of when I did hear the word autism until I discovered that there's so many spectrums of it that. Yeah. Yeah. And let me tell you, Richard, I was very bad at math. (laughs) (laughs) Like famously, I had to be sent to, there was a special class that was like, so there was regular math and then there was business math, Mm -hmm. which we had textbooks that were like 20 years out of date. One of the kids in my class was so bored that he was flipping a lighter in his desk and he set his desk on fire. Like it was just, it was not a class for people that were going to do much with math. (laughs) I mean, you get the pluses, the, the, the subtraction, the addition, the multiplication, but then they start throwing letters in the equation and I'm like, okay, you lost me there. Exactly. And it is like I uh, there's a friend of mine who when she's stressed out, she does math because she's like, there's always an answer, which sounds beautiful to me. But every time I see math, I'm like, no, like I I run away like it's a horror movie. Like, no, Mm, that's just not your subject. Nope, not my subject. So it probably was it was a combination combination of a lot of different things that put you in that place. And you dealt with it for years and you, you said you didn't seek yeah. out any therapy. Like, how did you, how did you, uh... I didn't, I, I started in university and I think it was basically, it might've been my uh, resident advisor who suggested it. It started being a thing that people suggested. So they were noticing um, it. it was very noticed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was very, it was very clear. Um, and that's one of the wonderful things about support uh, especially, uh, I think there's a lot of stereotypes about women saying bad things, uh, behind each other's backs or like taking someone aside and, uh, gossiping about someone else. Mm. One of the things I think we don't talk about necessarily is how women will take you aside and be like, Hey, I've noticed that this is happening. Are you okay? Which I don't think maybe, I mean, I'm not a cis straight man, so I don't know, but it doesn't seem like my male counterparts really got that in the same mm-hmm. way. And I wouldn't have gone for help as early as I had if people hadn't told me that that was an option and it was okay. How about your your parents or your family? Did, were, were they giving you any any clues as to, I think you need to get this checked out. You're not, you're not looking yeah. good. Well, 
my parents are of the generation where you didn't do that. Oh. And they also, uh, my parents grew up very working class and then became teachers and uh, uh, we became middle class. And I feel like there were just a bunch of elements of you don't go and pay someone to talk about your feelings. You just do the thing. You figure it out. Exactly. You figure it out. And it wasn't, it's like, they weren't saying anything awful to me. It wasn't anything. It was like, this is what worked for us. This is what's always worked. Just do that and you'll be fine. And that wasn't working for me, especially because there were other options. So it is with my parents. I, I, I think back and it's got to have been so complicated for them to have a kid where there was just a bunch of stuff that didn't make sense where I wasn't like other kids um and you know they just did the best that they could uh do i wish that they were given the messaging that it's okay to go to therapy uh they're now very they're very supportive of all that kind of stuff that i've done now uh which is wonderful but i i just feel like they weren't given that message so they didn't give it to me mm, yeah exactly and i think probably it Maybe it's safe to say years later, you were the one that opened up that world to them. Like, wow, this is even, this is a possibility to see that work with their daughter. That's so kind of you to say. Thank you. I appreciate that. Could very well, because like you said, if, if especially the, uh, a generation before us and, and even ourselves, probably if, if we're not passed down something and we're not familiar with it, we're not aware of it. And then it's going to be very hard for us to yeah. give that to the next person because we're, we're ignorant. We're 100%, ignorant to it. So. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I've had conversations with, because I have friends that are various different ages. And I had a conversation with a friend not that long ago. And he was like, well, I don't believe in therapy. And I was like, well, it's not yeah. Santa Claus. <laughs> like it, it exists. I, know, but... I promise you. Also, sorry for listeners who are I into know, Santa Claus. Yeah. He could be, he could be real to you. Um, but, uh, it is, I feel like there's a lot of messaging where it is. Uh, and if he's listening, I won't say his name, but if he's listening, just, uh, take it from me and Richard, maybe, maybe give it a try, but why not give it a try? And that's easy for me to say, you know, I live in a country where, yeah, that person knows best. You're right. But like, I live in a country where it's like a lot of that is covered. And also I have been pretty lucky with the professionals I've been to that they haven't said anything really messed up or made me feel uncomfortable or any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I've never, you know, a friend of mine was, uh, her, her, uh, therapist hit on her. Uh, not everyone's experience is the same, but I mean, it's not, it's a nice thing to have as an option exactly. to explore. And I mean, if, if we're talking about it in any kind of thing that you're dealing with, there's, you're always going to have the good with the bad. But I think as far as that goes, there, there there's a lot more good that outweighs yeah. it. You're going to have the bad apples. You're going to have the bad, the, the bad cases, but it, I don't think it's the exception. Yeah. And I would also love to suggest this because I'm, I think I've convinced my friend to do this because Like you said, you know, the person's the best expert on what is comfortable for them. But one of the things that I found amazing as a storyteller, and one of the things I often tell clients is write every day, write a journal, write whatever it is, because that's the thing is like, I tend to be a very inaccurate 
uh, uh, experiencer of a lot of my experiences, partly because the way my brain works is I will miss certain social cues. But also there are times when at the time I have a feeling about something. And then when I'm writing it later, I allow myself to be more generous both to myself and other people. And especially as someone with, with anxiety, I'm like, oh my God, I did this thing and everyone thinks I'm weird. And I'm like, maybe they are all people with their own lives and I'm not the center of everyone's narrative. So maybe they didn't even notice or uh, maybe I did something and it was embarrassing and they laughed and I like to make people laugh. But when I'm able mm -hmm. to both write down about my experiences and think them through that way it's made such a huge difference in my mental health and has also led me i think to do the storytelling work that i do was that what led to you getting better was it having that outlet i think writing did change my life forever uh this is that and i'm, I'm working on an article about this right now uh improv which uh is Improv, which is that's a talent. That's a th talent. That's, I, that I is very kind of you to say. That does that. Thank you. I really, I really enjoyed it. It's truly the dorkiest thing. And I say this anybody who loves improv out there, so do I. Hooray. Yay for mm -hmm. improv. But I have spent many hours of my life asking strangers to give me a fruit and an emotion. Uh, like it's, if I break it down, <laughs> many hours of my life. Is that what they, yeah, because I've heard that they also do, like they'll just give you a circle and say, okay. Now you, you have to make something of it. I don't know, a little circle or a square and you have to, I don't know, create a story or do something with it. Exactly. But one of the things with improv is as a person who is still, I'm always going to deal with anxiety. Um, and it anxiety, when I was at my worst, everything felt like, have you ever, someone ever said something like, oh, I like the way you walk. And then suddenly you don't remember how you walk anymore because you get so aware conscious of it yes exactly exactly uh -huh. i know exactly when what you my mean. yeah and it's just like how do i move my arms what are my arms <laughs> so when my anxiety was at its worst that was what everything felt like i was like how do you make eye contact where do you put your hand when you lean on the wall like everything felt impossible how how old were and you when, like when when you were feeling it at that point at its highest Great question. About... I'm going to say early 20s was when it was at its worst. Oh, and you were you were going to college, so it probably was near impossible to study, focus, any of it that. It was not, yeah, it was not the greatest. Um, I do sometimes wish that I could go back to school with who I am now, because there's all these things where it's like, I love school and I love learning and reading and that kind of stuff. And there were definitely times where I wasn't able to perform at the level I wanted to because my brain felt like it was fighting me. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I started doing improv and I started doing improv at uh, I was like 24. And because a friend of mine had taken the class. And the thing with improv is there is no wrong way to do it other than if someone says something and you don't agree. Like if if uh, I said, oh, hey, Richard, here we are in a spaceship. And you were like, it's not a spaceship. It's the library. Uh, that's the only real way you could do improv badly, because then you've made the other person have to like start from. You know, oh, you so just you're just keep building you're, okay, you're just supposed to right, carry on. 
Exactly. Because what I could do, because sometimes people get nervous, is I could be like, you're right. The library and the spaceship is amazing. Like, there's always ways to come back. Mm -hmm. Did you check check yourself into a workshop or this was part of your, like, an an elective course during during your college days? This was, this was like, I, I was probably finished school at this point. Yes, I must have been. A friend of mine took the class. She's awesome. I wanted to do a thing that she was doing. So I took this thing. I planned to do one class and then never do it again. And then it was, it like, it was like a rom-com where, you know, it, it was just like, it was so much fun and so neat. I was like, oh, this is my life now. This is what you I caught do. the bug. Exactly. Did I ever? I caught it big time. Um, And so, yeah, it was there was no wrong way to do it. It was all about supporting each other. And if you made a weird choice, that was great because it gave someone else something to work with. So if I said something strange, instead of just being neutral, it gave us more chance to play. And Mm. so improv taught me so much about having fun and playing with being different. Uh, it, it it changed my life. And so this is something that you're, are you still involved with now, improv? It has moved on. So I, I love improv. I still use a lot of the like exercises I learned from there and techniques uh, with my story coaching work. I don't do improv much anymore. It's one of those things. It's like, working out I understand I don't work out but like where you you know if you if you don't keep working that muscle it's not strong anymore yeah. um yeah. and so it is I love it I am doing other things now so I don't really have time for it in the same way but it has really it really is I would say kind of the foundation of a lot of the stuff that I do yeah exactly if you don't if you don't use it you lose it mm-hmm. so how, how exactly. did you how did you get involved with storytelling how did that how did that come about Well, I was doing a lot of different comedy stuff. I've always loved comedy. And a friend of mine who is a stand-up was going to be at a storytelling show uh, on a show that was, I believe at that time, was Moth Up Toronto, became raconteurs. Uh, I love to shout out uh, other uh, amazing folks in the city doing cool stuff. So there was the show Raconteurs. And uh, I was in an improv troupe with this person. uh, And so I was like, well, I'll go. I was... I want to say I'm a very good and supportive person, but what I did is I was like, I'll go, I'll see her, I'll sneak out the back. Uh, and then I could be like, well, I saw your weird thing. Mm, um, oh, okay. Incognito. Exactly. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what this storytelling thing is, but like, no, thank you. What am I going like, to like hear stories for kids? Slide out. Yeah. Not into it. Went, loved it. It was amazing. It was everything I'd wanted to do. With because there were funny stories, there were serious, there was a combination, and it was. I was like, Oh, this is what I've been looking for. This is all of those different things. It has the improv, like community building, supporting each other element, the performance, the possibility of comedy, the fact that I could talk about more serious things, all of that in one art form. Now, is that when, when they're performing or when they're doing their act, is it just, is it mm-hmm. in? one individual or is it a group of people or a a combination of the both yeah it usually is probably about five people telling true stories from their lives different shows do it differently sometimes you'll see a show 
not, not separately. Yes. Okay. Sometimes you'll see a show where it's one person the whole time, but usually it is five different people on a theme uh, telling a story. And you're you're also this is something that you teach as far as the workshops and the seminars, and you you uh, help people get their their story and their voice out there. Exactly. What I like to say is I'm like a story detective. Like I'm here to ask questions and you already have the story. Uh, I, I always like to, th to think about like I was on a, a podcast recently talking about the movie Afterlife, which is uh, a story about uh, people. Uh, they when they die, they get to choose one memory to continue on the rest of their life with. And they're just very ordinary people. Uh, and I think that's one of the things I do is like that movie is so effective. You see these beautiful small moments and how important they are. And to me, it is, there's no such thing as an ordinary person. The ordinary is extraordinary. That's good. Um, and we often, we say, I say we, I mean me, often forget there's all these beautiful moments in your life. And a lot of us walk around feeling disconnected and feeling alone. And as soon as you give people a place to be vulnerable, which you do both as someone who runs a show or someone who uh, I put together uh, with a team, uh, a storytelling anthology, you, you can give space that way. But you can also give space to people by just being vulnerable, by telling your story uh, about feelings that you've had just to be very very real it lets people know that it's okay for them to be the same right. way and it also reminds them of all these moments in their life and i then the third thing i think it does is if you've changed if uh, if i hear a story about how someone else has changed i know it's possible for me to change as well so my job is basically to ask people a bunch of questions, we find a moment, and then we shape it. And then they go and they go and crush it. Whether it is to tell a story about their life to their grandkid, or to lobby the government, or to do crowdfunding. Uh, I, I have a client who has uh, launched an incredible book uh, called Mamacita, which has uh, authentic recipes that are delicious. And that book has helped uh, to uh, get her parents to to uh, I'm sorry I don't know the exact phrase but like to to with their immigration okay. process uh -huh. yeah so it is to me what my job is is to help people find the and shape those stories so they can go off and do something incredible you don't have to tell your short stories you don't have to share them with anyone else if that story changes you, that's all it needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that's powerful also because especially coming from where you come from with the anxiety, with the depression, with everything mm -hmm. being too much, going from that place to where now you're you were able to get on the stage and perform in front of a handful of people, probably hundreds of people. I don't know what the crowd capacity was, but even just five or six strangers to speak in front of these strangers or to perform something that mm. that takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of guts and a lot of doing to come out of your shell you like you said you still deal with it now now that was something i wanted to ask you was are there any you don't have to give away 
all of your secrets, but just are there some things, maybe one or two points that somebody who is dealing with anxiety, the fear of public speaking, any of that, that you can offer that might be able to help them get over that hurdle? I'd love to. Yes. Also, here's the thing is like, I am very, very much an open person. I don't really have secrets where people are like, what's your company secret? What's the stuff you don't tell anyone? It is because Eddie, if you're working with me, we're going to find the ones that are right for you. I don't have secrets. I have strategies. Um, but yeah, so here are a few things that I wish I knew I like when I was deal with the yeah. individual. That's a good point. Exactly. Exactly. It's all about finding what's right for you. And that, I would say, one of my big things is, what is the best for you? What Think of a day that has just gone so well, where everything felt amazing. And what are the things that you did? Uh, what are the things that made you feel comfortable? Can you recreate that? So I often, when I'm working with clients, especially if they're anxious, because uh, honestly, that's one of my specialties. I've been there. I get it. Um, is what's going to give you the most comfort and make you feel the best? So if you have a you have a talk at two, what do you do when you first wake up? What do you eat? Do you go for a walk? Do you sit in front of one of those like LED lights that give you a little bit of extra vitamin D? Uh, do you have some tea? Who do you talk to? All of those kind of things. What works for you and what works for me might not be the right thing for you. That's great. Yeah, I like that. I think it's that's one, one of my biggest ones. It's all kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And also, uh, and this is truly if I could get in a time machine and tell uh, younger Aaron this, don't let anyone take joy away from you and take healing away from you because I you know I've had like I'm a very corny person so it's totally fine but I know that people especially hurt people hurt people where sometimes when I was starting to do better uh, I would have people say stuff like oh well I wouldn't go to therapy that's so corny or like you can't handle it yourself and I would start to feel shame about it. And then I would remind myself, well, I am corny, so that's fine. So that didn't hurt as much. But I know friends who've like fallen off the sobriety wagon because people say stuff like, well, you're not the same person or you're corny or whatever. Yeah, you're now. so serious. And now. so I think one of the things, yeah, I think one of the things is just don't let people steal your joy. That's right. That's when you do that, you're ultimately giving power to that person in. You're you're relinquishing your own power and giving it to them. Now they have control over your your feelings, your emotions, and everything that comes with it. Exactly. And the the other thing I will say, and then I'm going to have one very practical one, but forgive yes. yourself because I still let people steal my joy sometimes, and I'm. 40, 42 years old. I had to think about mm -hmm. that for a second. I'm 42 mm -hmm. years old. I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of that stuff. And I will still, I'm like, I don't even like this person. Why do I care what they think? Oh no. Yeah. And then I'll go like, oh my God, like all this, you know, work that I've done is a waste. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. I think we've and all the been time there that, too. Sorry? I think we've all been there too. I think we, yeah, we've 100%. You got to forgive yourself. 
Um, and the last practical thing that I would say, so if you're wanting to tell your stories and I think everyone will benefit from it, I'm not going to tell anyone you should because that your life is your business. But I will say as someone whose life has been changed because of the power of stories, it's I have the amazing people I have in my life, the the way I'm able to be myself more, the opportunities that I've had. My job all comes from uh, creativity, specifically storytelling, is to keep track of moments in your life, uh, small moments, big moments every day. You can write, there's a there's a storyteller, Matthew Dix, uh, out of the States, and he has like a spreadsheet. I have a notebook. Write down those little victories, those little wins, those little stories. Keep track of your, your small and big victories. And I also have a compliment book where I write down what people have said nice things about me because my depression and my anxiety will say very mean things to me. And then I look at that book and I was like, look at these things, depression. What you're saying isn't true. Something that you can recollect on. Keeping your own scorecard, your personal scorecard. Yes. How long have you been how long have you been doing this for? Coaching, mentoring, teaching these these uh workshops? Uh it's it's been about ten years. Oh, I wow. I've been doing comedy for probably twenty. I've been doing storytelling stuff for ten. Uh, and it is truly, uh, and I, I, I try not to, to be this person, but like, I feel like I've won the lottery with I a bet. life. I, I just, I get to do so many incredible things. I've met so many incredible people from it. You're one of those people that can say, I truly love what I'm doing. Yeah. And I will also, I will also say, here's the thing. I'm lucky enough to make money at this. There it is. Uh-huh. But when I was trying to make ends meet and I was working jobs I hated, the fact that I was still able to be creative was just so life-changing because I think sometimes there's the idea if you're not getting paid for it, it's not legitimate or uh I I was talking to a client recently and she was like, "Well, I don't really have time to devote to what I want to do. I have these ideas, but I don't have the time." She's a really young child. And to me, it is, is there a line on a paper that wasn't there before? Did you write one word? Did you have one thought that didn't exist before? And now it does because of you. Yes. That's beautiful. And you build off of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Creativity has made my life so you're much better. And this is what you're, like you said, you're doing this full time. You're, uh, you do workshops and now where I, I, looked into the website that you shared with me. Can you again share like some links or a website mm -hmm. or somewhere where people can find if they're interested in more of what you do, they can find some of your work or get in contact with you to maybe hook up a workshop or um, book a class or a session with you? Oh, for sure. I would love all of that. I will send you, I'm going to make a little page on my website for your listeners that cool. actually has some free worksheets on it. Because here's the thing, even if you don't hire me and please hire me, I'm very fine. <laughs> um, but if, if you, you know, we live in a different country, it doesn't, you don't have time. You don't have the budget right now. There's some free workshops to just get you started because what I want most of the world is for everyone to give this a try. Um, At least give it a try. You're saying. 
Exactly. Give it a try. What the heck? Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. And the other thing is, is uh, I have an Instagram. Uh, my website is storystarcoaching.com, but I will also give all of my different links. Uh, I'll, I'll put a page on my website just for the listeners of this show. Okay, the last cool. thing and I'd I'll also to... put that in the description box so people can Thank check you. that out. And yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And the last thing I'd, I'd love to say about my work, uh, because I feel like if you're a listener to the show, you're probably a person that uh, has some really interesting things to say uh, yes. and like thinks about their life and thinks about their place in the world. I'm part of a group of people called the Pathfinders Collective. There's three of us. We met during the height of COVID uh, at online shows. We put together a yearly storytelling anthology on a theme. Uh, Our newest one, Escape, comes out on April 4th. Uh, All the money goes to uh, Water Charity, Charity Water. Uh, That'll be a a link as well, uh, where it's uh, giving water to clean water to people who need it. But what we want more than anything is to give people a chance to tell their story. So if you have never told a story before, if you've never written before, but you have a story to share, we'll be releasing the new, um, excuse me, theme before too long. Keep your eyes open on that website. It's Pathfinders Collective. We would love for you to have a story in that collection. And I say you to the audience, but also you to Richard, because you're delightful. Yes, I want to hear your stories yes, too. Yes. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. And that is that going to be like live visuals? How is that going to work? Are you going to have a stage where people are invited to show up and perform and share their yes, story? Or great are they recording? Yeah, with this with this collection, it is all written stories that we put in an anthology that you have as an ebook or like a physical book. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So it is uh and that's one of the things that's so exciting is we can have people from all over the world that way. Right. Uh, I do have a storytelling show in Toronto, Canada called Story Star. You know, it's Toronto, Canada, sorry. Um in Toronto <laughs> called Story Star, uh where we have people physically on a stage it's at the back of a place called on task studio uh run by my amazing friend alexandra howell if you're in toronto and looking for an art space that is also a retail space you're supporting local artists in various ways uh that is uh, where my show is out of Uh, it's a really small intimate space there will also be with the different tellers permission video of those stories going up on my YouTube before too long. So there are options uh, for you to see stories as well, but for the Pathfinders collective, it is the written stories. Now, is there going to be for the written stories? Is there a a certain amount of maximum characters? Like, do you want to keep it within a certain range? Yeah, we usually do about like, yeah, we usually do about 12 to 1500 words. Okay. So there's a, it's, it's surprising. Um, yeah. Cause for people, they're like either like, ah, so short or ah, too long, but you'll be mm-hmm. amazed what you can do with that amount of, of that amount of words. You can always like, I mean, I like writing also what I've, what I've learned and and that's, that's like from just following up on a lot of old writers and authors and their tactics and stuff. But you always just write a, a rough draft, whatever comes to mind and then slowly pe- Bit by bit, you kind of fine tune it. You you take out words so you can make it work. I think exactly. that's plenty of space for people to. Exactly. Part. And all of us are 
story professionals. So we work with everyone as well. Uh, so it ah, is, okay. uh, yeah, basically like we, there's a lot of space. If you're brand new to this and are just like, oh, I have this idea, but I don't know what to do with it. We're happy to meet with you on Zoom and work on that as well. We really want to encourage newer voices because sometimes it gets to be very much. I love the amount of people who there's people that that's what they do professionally. um, And that's very exciting. And there's shows where it is people who are all professionals, like uh, whether they're stand up storytelling, et cetera, in in the city and in various cities, which is wonderful. But sometimes I think one of the, the gaps is people who are brand new um, and they have something interesting to say. But how do you get past that? Like, oh, I'm brand yes, new yes. stage. And you also have a YouTube channel, you said. I do. Wow. You're doing everything. Aaron is I doing do- everything. Thank you. That is, yeah, well, that's the ADHD for you. Um, and one of the things I would actually love now that you were talking about, uh, you could say everything. I would love to give three little pieces of advice for people who are new to this. Please. And they're wanting to do their stories for whatever they're doing. One of those is the empty page can be really overwhelming record your story the first time record it on your phone or whatever and go as long as you want and then listen to it and then tell it to a friend and you'll find the parts you'll be able to start feeling we're like ah this doesn't feel right this feels like it's not necessary and you can start editing it down that way but i almost never write my first draft as a written thing on uh on a computer or on a piece of paper because sometimes that blank paper or that blank screen is too much for me but once i start talking Mm -hmm. it helps the other thing is uh when people are looking for a story clients are often like well i don't know what story to tell what's your favorite story to tell what's the story when you introduce yourself to people what's the story where people are like oh my god you gotta hear richard has this great story oh and you know where they all gather around or what's this first story that comes to mind today because once you start with stories you're gonna find more and more and more there's no wrong way to start mm-hmm. just find something and the, the last piece of advice that I will give is uh, that realize that it takes a while to find your voice and find the way you want to tell your story or do your uh, stand up or whatever it is. So just try it a bunch of different ways. Tell, write your story um, exactly how you want to write it. Maybe what, like, what if you do character voices what if you move around a lot like try a bunch of different ways one of the things i love doing with with clients is they're stuck in a part of the story tell the story like and you can use the same words how would your best friend do an imitation of you telling that story what are different fun ways you can play with it Always follow the fun. I I saw an interview with Jordan Peele and he said one of the secrets to his writing process is follow the fun. So I say that with every kind of creative thing you do. Follow the fun. Getting back in touch with that imaginative spirit. Exactly. I see my niece. She's uh, she's almost two and she just runs around and everything's exciting. Um, she's like, oh my God, like, it's just like a tree. Whoa. 
now. Everything is yeah, brand new. Exactly. Yeah, that, those were the days. My goal is to be like my niece, Yuna, uh, and just like just live my life with as much joy as possible and to find the simple things to be amazing. Yeah, that that's a great way to approach it, especially nowadays, you know, where it can be. I guess it depends what you put in front of you and what you're always filling your life with. But it could be a lot of doom and gloom. But to approach yeah. it that way, Aaron, is a refreshing thing to hear. Uh, well, thank you. I feel like the thing that I learned is there's so many things in life I can't control. And as someone with anxiety, like I was always like, no, what if I could just control everything? And I can't, I can't control how people see me. I can't control the weather. I can't control what awful decisions people are making. I can't control politicians. Mm -hmm. I can't control anything. Gas what, prices. Nothing. Exactly. Gas prices. <laughs> I can't control if my dad ate too many beans yeah. and he's full of gas. Like I can't control any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, had to do at least one fart joke. That's the rule. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> but I can control myself and I can uh, just be like, well, this is really awful. This feels terrible. What can I do to make myself feel better, to do a kind thing for someone else? Those are the things I can control my perspective. And wouldn't we get a lot more out of it if that's where we put our attention and focus to what we can control? Yeah. Yeah. And I say that, of course, as a person who like a lot it's of things have gone very well in my life. <laughs> so that is in some ways very easy for me to say. But also it was a hard battle to get to the point where I could be like, well, I can control me. That's all I can do. Oh, right. Yeah. That I don't I don't know if it was the the same with you, but was it was there a lot of ticks like you said there's just you had to everything had to be right everything had to be in order for you to just get by and carry on with your day when you this is going back to earlier in your story what you were, oh, yeah. you were talking about was it the ADHD that or the like in a compulsive disorder yeah so for me i don't think i have some like hand things that I do and have since like I was a kid that are just like little physical things. I move my, my body in certain ways when I like stimming is the phrase. Um, I don't have mm -hmm. uh, like certain things that I have to do in the same way as some of my other peers do. Um, but there's definitely because in many ways, for years, my brain hurt all the time. Uh, it was like there had to be so many things I did for myself to like sometimes even get myself out the door. You mentioning that there's a, a neighbor of mine and she, I don't know what it is. I, I think it would have to be something to do with the, what, what's the word? Com is it compulsive? Dis obsessive compulsive yeah. disorder? You go obsessive compulsive disorder because there's a lot of times that going to take out the trash or we're getting in the car, going downstairs, and she's outside and she's, you could see that sometimes she can take notice and see that we're coming by and she tries to stop it. But there's times that I've noticed walk by. I don't really make it obvious. I'll walk by and I can see that she's, she's, this is what she's doing, but she'll touch the, the mm -hmm. post box. She'll just keep touching it, touching it, walk away, come back, touch it, touch it, touch it. And that. I mean, that pretty much is your life. That that just looks tough and it looks so hard to deal with. But this is something that I've noticed with one of my neighbors. And that's on the extreme side of things. Yeah. 
Well, it is. So uh, OCD isn't something that I I have dealt with. I definitely have had with my anxiety. There were certain times where there was I needed to have certain things that I would do just to kind of calm myself okay. down or give myself a feeling of control. But I will say uh, the 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 reading that I have done on OCD and like a lot of different disorders, it's interesting how a lot of the same things come through, seem to come through in different ways. Um, and I really, I'm a bit of a Pollyanna in this way, but I look forward to, and I really believe it can happen, a time where it is, you know, people who touch the mailbox four times, that's just something they do. And like, yeah. people are yeah. like you and they're just like walking by and, you know, they notice, but they don't exactly. ignore because yeah, whatever. It's just, I mean, that's, that's what she's dealing with. And but I mean, I can tell, mm -hmm. I can tell that there are times that she notices and sees me, or if it's my wife and I, she sees us and she tries mm -hmm. to stop from doing it until we pass by and then she carries on with it. But I don't make yeah. a big deal out of it. Yeah. And it is, you know, I'm, I am not a me medical professional or a mental health professional, but I do think the more that we just all accept that people are different, that everyone's a little bit different. Um, and it becomes less of a shame thing. Like I see, it's one of the things where it is, I am not going to cry. I made myself a promise that I would not cry on a podcast this time, but I see my friend's kids and I just see younger people and the way they stand up for each other. I was mm -hmm. on a bus and, uh, there was a kid who was doing some ticks or something like that. And uh, some guy was was like, you know, elbowing the person beside him and oh. saying something snide. And there was a girl that must have been 12. And she went, stop that. You don't get to say that. You don't get to do that. You stop it. And it was just like the thought. And this was not a kid that she knew. Wow. He was just a stranger that was like, do, had some tics or something. And it was like, you don't get to do that. And all I could think is just like, Oh, that's what kids are like now. Like I watch kids making sure that uh, people's proper pronouns are used. I watch them stand up for each other. Are kids angels? No, they're children. But the fact that like this, there just seems to be a, a thing with kids where they're less focused on shame, seemingly because they have been taught that it is okay to be yourself more than we got taught it just it just like it warms my heart i was on a subway one time i'm on the subway a lot uh, or buses and um there was uh, a bunch of kids bunch of teenagers and one of them said a homophobic slur and another guy went you don't get to do that like that is my uncle is gay and also gay people are just people you don't get to mm -hmm. say something awful and I turned and they were all football players. Oh, wow. Okay. And like they had the, yeah, the whole uniform. And the, and the first kid was like, you're right. That was, that was shitty. Mm -hmm. What I just said. And I had to get off the subway because I was like, I'm going to cry. And I don't want to be that weird old lady. That's like, you kids nowadays. It's so beautiful. <laughs> like I went out, I got out of the subway and I just walked the rest of the way home. Because wow. it is, I just, I just see that. Mm -hmm. And I see the ways people show up for each other and people that aren't kids as well. And it's one of the things I love about storytelling is when people are able to jettison shame mm -hmm. 
it's amazing how how much richer your life is, how much richer my life is, because I'm able to just accept more of myself every day. That's a beautiful thing to leave off with, Erin. Thank you. This was this was interesting. We went through a whole ride and you shared a lot about how it was dealing with your anxiety, your depression, what you're doing now, how you're helping people from all over the world, the things you're involved with. And is there anything else that you would like to leave off with before we, I I feel like we can go on forever, but. Yes, I will say the last thing I would love to leave people off with is I want to hear your story. Whoever you are, like, I want to hear your story because when people share their stories, the world gets better. But on a selfish note, I just love stories. I want to hear them. Like, send me send me a link to your YouTube. Show me your uh, Instagram. Like, what's your blog? I want, I want to hear them. And I want you to share them. So if you're looking for permission to share your life story, I am officially granting it, listeners. Share your life, share your story, share your creativity. There you have it. (laughs) Aaron, thank you for your time, your words, your kind heart, and your enthusiastic spirit. I appreciate it. It was a blast. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. The power of story. After all, that's exactly what this podcast is about. Sharing that unique and genuine human experience. Like Aaron said, this is a great way to learn, grow, and connect with one another. I really like the fact that she was marching to her own beat, even at a young age, and used comedy to break barriers. Plus, the art of storytelling to unite strangers. She didn't let any labels or stigmas define her. She broke free and paved her own way, making her a giant amongst us. Now you can find out more about her at storycoaching.com. She's your go-to when it comes to individual coaching, group coaching, and even public speaking. And she's going to help give you the tools you need so you can find your voice and use it in any way you deem fit. Erin was even kind enough to leave worksheets with us. So the links for those and the rest of her services can be found in the description box of this episode. But before we check out, I'd like to add this for all of our listeners and to help this show catch on and to grow on organically. Leave a review and let us know what you like or even don't like about the show. That's the only way we can improve it. And then, give us a rating and go share with a friend. Let me know where and how you're listening to this so I can shout you out. And if you want to be a part of the show and share your story, shoot me a line via email. I'd be happy to connect. Till next time, and very soon. Peace. Looking for a sign to know I'm on the right road. Ain't seen no sign since Jay.